I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you'll no doubt be aware that we are big fans of urban design, or more specifically, how to design our cities better within the 905 region. As we come to the realization that we cannot just keep building sprawl across the region and province, new ways of building our cities will have to be put on the table. A big idea that we've returned to on this podcast is the concept of the 15-minute city. The design idea that in an urban environment, all the vital amenities of life ought to be available within a 15-minute walk of where one lives. Groceries, doctor's offices, shops, restaurants, and clinics would be a convenient short step outside your door. An urban utopia where one wouldn't necessarily need to drive to all the places to go about the business of living. Is this practical? Perhaps, but it has always come across as a more philosophical goal when it comes to planning rather than a concrete urban design policy. Which is why in the last week or so, Roland and I have been dumbfounded by the appearance of opposition to the 15-minute city from the Freedom Convoy crowd and the far right. Rallies and op-eds have appeared across the country decrying the idea of the 15-minute city as a plot by the World Economic Forum to lock us into predetermined districts forbidden to travel beyond arbitrary walls at the risk of massive fines or worse, imprisonment by nefarious government forces. I am sorry, folks, I wish I was making this up, but I am not. This is where we are, apparently. The urban planning idea of a living, walkable city has been co-opted by the far right in just about the dumbest way possible. Now, rather than wait for the 15-minute city to become yet another rallying cry for the anger farmers and the bad-faith arguers, we thought we'd work to set the record straight. To take back this good idea make sure that it is not a taboo subject to be debated or discussed in our government and city council chambers. To that end, we have invited back to the podcast, Glenn Bowerman. Glenn is a co-host of Spacing Radio, a podcast produced by Spacing Magazine, a publication that focuses on urban design and the cities in which we live. He joins us today to talk about how we got here and what we need to do to make sure that the 15-minute city doesn't become a bad word. Welcome back, Glenn uh, Bauman from uh, uh, the host Spacing Radio. Uh, welcome back to, to the podcast for a uh, second time. Uh, happy to be back. My pleasure. So this story started getting kind of attention a week or so ago. Um, apparently, uh, the 15-minute city idea, which uh, I think we'll probably, probably all of us would agree would have been chalked up as the most, one of the more innocuous and uncontroversial kind of aspirations that exists in sort of urban and uh, planning circles has yeah. suddenly become, um, apparently we were all wrong and it's, it's a massive conspiracy to keep the population inside uh, fenced pens or something. <laughs> um, what, 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 what's your understanding about this, this whole story, uh, just to kick us off? I mean, yeah, I, I was surprised uh, when I saw that there was just general scuttlebutt about it. I assumed it was going to come from the typical like, oh, this is just, uh, you know, uh, one more attack and the war against the car. Um, I didn't realize that uh, it, it went all the way to, uh, you know, uh, bananas country. Um, 
that uh, apparently, uh, you know, all, all the classic uh, rogues gallery of uh, Jordan Peterson and the goof from, uh, you know, Dragon's Den or, uh, and of course, Chris, Chris Guy, which uh, I thought he was in jail, but I guess he's out again. So uh, <laughs> um, he must have a good lawyer or something. Ken uh, Walls can't keep Chris Guy in apparently, so I don't know what he's worried about with this 15-minute city. Yeah. <laughs> like... I I I'm, I was like, we we're just talking before we hit record, but I'm flabbergasted that this has become a a conspiracy talking point. I mean, for for on this podcast, and I know it's well in yours, the idea of a 15 minute city has been a common refrain that we we keep coming back to. I, I'm not I won't say that we're we're advocates for it, but it's something that we're definitely intrigued by the notion of it and the the possibilities that it, it entails, and just you know kind of kind of put it on the record for our listeners remind everyone again somebody who might be new listening to this what is the philosophy behind the 15 minute city okay uh yeah like i will personally go on the record as as this is something that i i have and do advocate for um the the actual term itself was coined in 2016 by a professor carlos moreno uh you know a sort of urbanist thinker uh but it it really just is, uh, you know, it, it's it's part of a long legacy of trying to undo some of the uh, damage we did with the urban planning straight after World War II. Um, you know, the, the very car-centric, uh, very sprawling, uh, sort of, uh, in some ways, very solipsistic uh, kind of urban planning where, uh, you know, you everyone lives apart, you know, they they're, have their you know, their little patch of paradise, they get in a car and drive for two hours and, uh, you know, to some downtown business center. And, and then at the end of a workday, they, they drive back and rinse and repeat. Um, we, we found out pretty quickly that for a number of reasons, uh, that's not the most ideal way to live. Um, and uh, it, it seems to be that only the, the most extreme uh, kind of anti-urbanist thinkers uh, w- would even push back against that because, uh, I don't know anyone who who can truthfully tell me that they enjoy their two two hours of gridlock uh, on the way to the office or what whatever they're doing. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I'm used to this argument against the idea of a 15 minute city, um, just in terms of well, you're going to add bike lanes. We don't want bike lanes. You're going to put a sidewalk in our neighborhood that doesn't typically have a sidewalk, and you know that could bring all kinds of strangers walking through our neighborhoods that sort of thing. But really all it is, is the idea that uh, you shouldn't have to get in your car um, to drive to the closest, you know, grocery store or bodega or whatever to, you know, to buy a pack of diapers or a a carton of milk. I think the one thing that is, we should underscore is that it's not a, uh, like a a set in stone carved in the wall kind of policy of everything must be 15 minutes away. The idea is it's an ideal uh, yeah, to, to, to strive towards and the, the, like those essential amenities of life, so like a doctor's uh office uh like as you said the groceries uh bodega uh shops and like those those essentials for life that we need to live you know we're not we're not sitting you're right we're not sitting there in, in two hour traffic trying to go to the other side of our city to go to our our, our allotted uh appointments we could still like you know if we if we have that that favorite shop right that that shop that you know we we love that chocolate 
shop that you know makes the best the best treats for us. There's nothing. There would nothing be stopping us from getting in our car, driving across town, shopping and 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 doing the like. But again, it's that idea of like, well, no, I need to go buy my groceries. I could walk to the store, yeah. buy my week's groceries, and walk back. Yeah, and, and like, yeah. If it will, and the thing is, this is all about options, right? As good urban planning always is. Uh, no one's saying you can't drive across city to your favorite chocolate boutique or whatever. But uh, you should have the option of not having to, you know, get in a car just to to pick up a last minute item or yet yeah, to see a doctor or, um, you know, it also raises issues of, uh, you know, in uh, sort of suburban neighborhoods, uh, people are tending to age out of the, the neighborhoods that they've lived in for so long because that kind of lifestyle of just getting in a car and driving, you know, for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to, mm-hmm. to do basic things like see your doctor it's just not sustainable. Um, and what happens when you lose your license because your vision is impaired and exactly. it takes away your license? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Then then you, uh, uh, unless you have a, sort of a network of support, that neighborhood that you spent your life in all of a sudden, uh, it, you know, can cannot sustain you. And uh, that's been well documented by p- people like uh, Cheryl Case in Toronto and, and others all over the world. Like uh, it's the, the current model uh, of having almost no options by design doesn't work for anyone uh but uh yeah uh, apparently this is this has been taken and skewed into something that's just absolutely ridiculous well it's, it's the old quote about you know a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can get its pants on or whatever uh i mean there was <laughs> one of the one of the guys uh what's his name laurie um laurie whatever uh goldstein uh, from the star yeah, or um, sun, sorry the toronto sun yeah yeah from the sun sorry yeah uh um yeah okay he's a right-wing goofball but but i wouldn't have put in the jordan peterson complete nut bar camp Mm -hmm. somehow picked up on this and then made a comment i think on twitter and it was like you know this idea of this ludicrous idea of a 15-minute city it's just gonna be laughable to anybody living in you know markham or uh uh, you know, he said south of in, in the 905 actually yeah he said south uh, of bloor which is oh right i thought th- i thought that would be like if you're living south of bloor in toronto it's exactly my, my it recollection is. would be like you'd be like i'd love a 15 minute city yeah but also and that's where you're most likely to already have it in that you're living downtown where there's yeah. stores on street corners uh, oh my, uh i don't i don't get it and the, the the fact that this is an aspiration of good design not about making anybody change their behavior by force uh, um this seems to have completely passed these people by but i guess they want it to pass by um, i mean this this all came to the fore because of all places oxford in england uh, yeah. of the university fame um which which um i haven't been there for a very long time but but, but i will say it is pretty it is a real traffic sort of black spot uh, or was 20 years ago um uh, has sort of branded some changes that they're introducing as 15 minute city and I don't know if you have you looked at what the actual proposals uh, were at all Glenn? yeah so this this seems to be one of the main things uh the, there were two things that I I picked out you know if, if I'm putting on my tinfoil hat that that really concerned people and the one is as you say uh, these are traffic calming measures, um, you know, uh, having uh, different areas of the city 
where, it, you know, uh, cars would either uh, not be permitted or uh, they would have to pay a sort of congestion charge if they absolutely had to take a certain road at a certain time of day. This is not new. Cities uh, do it all over the place. Uh, places in England have been doing it uh, to, to some success uh, for years. And, you know, it's it's not some dystopian thing. It's just they were trying to solve the problem of absolutely snarled gridlock. Uh, you know, that that's not good for anyone. And, you know, uh, just not not sacrificing everyone to to the, the great god of the car um, when there, there may be uh, better solutions. But yeah, I mean, I actually used to live in Cambridge for a couple of years. Not the university. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to point that out because some people will say I was at Cambridge when they were no such thing, and I was not at Cambridge. I just lived there. Uh, but yeah, they had all kinds of traffic calming things back then, and that's thirty years ago, uh, which amounted to barriers all around the city centre that just meant you couldn't drive through there uh, either at certain times of day or at all in in some streets. Uh, because it's a medieval city and it wasn't designed for cars and you know uh, it it's a horrible thing to have your tiny narrow little streets chock full of uh, trucks yeah so it's, it's absolutely nothing nothing new and I mean I actually read two articles yesterday about the the Oxford proposals and the first one uh, on the basis of the first one I was like oh well actually there is something to object to here because that one, which was not a conspiracy, was actually trying to sort of say this is not what people think it is, still kind of gave the impression that people would have to pay to drive to different parts of the city. And that's not actually the case. It's not even remotely the case. Yeah, uh, It's at certain times of day, you will not be able to go through certain routes, which is, yeah. like you say, something we're all already familiar with. Uh, and it's a lot more familiar in, in Europe, uh, uh, probably, because they're just further down the road. Of, of They had to deal with the problems of, of, of cities not designed for cars a lot earlier, I guess. Yeah. Uh, whereas we did design for cars, and it's only now that the mass has, reduced, has reached a level of complete madness that we're sort of thinking, well, maybe we should have done it a different way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, to say it's sort of ludicrous is... is, is um, doesn't even begin to describe uh, the whole thing, I guess. Yeah. The other thing that I think uh, the the conspiracy theorists sort of latched onto, um, well, I know they did because I, I saw a, a video of Chris Guy um, shouting about this to uh, some beleaguered Edmonton urban planner. Which, I think I saw uh, this too, yeah. Yeah, God bless him. I don't know how that's in his job description, but uh, he, he seemed to be handling himself. But uh, they, they made a particular hay of... Uh, of the Edmonton mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, calling their take on the the 15-minute city, uh, talking about the different designated districts. And uh, I think because of, um, what's uh, the the Katniss, the young uh, young readers novels? Yeah, the Hunger Games. The the word district is is in the public uh, consciousness right now as as something very uh, uh, dystopian and and nasty. But uh, my understanding is that the city of Edmonton's plan for district, and I, I might be wrong here, but the, the idea of the district was purely from a planner point of view, just in terms of an organizational standpoint. It, it wasn't is. Like, it is. It, it, like the, MRG, uh, the, the mayor of Edmonton uh, is not talking about like erecting these walled barriers or, or like this, this, the police of Edmonton are not going to be patrolling down the border, the border street saying, excuse me, Glenn, you're not allowed to cross the street. You're, you have to stay in your, your, your district. 
Yeah. It's entirely from a planning point of view, just so, okay, we can plan out in, in terms of zoning priorities so that, you know, when a, a you know, a, a, a supermarket wants to be built, okay, where can we prioritize where to put it so that, you know, again, people are able to access it uh, uh, more efficiently. And they could, they could was, have used any other synonym. It's just... Uh, I think it was just a matter of bad timing on their part. I mean, yeah. I would, I'd probably use district as well. Because like, oh, that's simple. You know, because Paris. Paris is uh, divided into districts. Yeah. Right? So, I don't know. Just it's, bad timing. It's, 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 it's something that the right has been very good at over the last 20, 30, 40 years of taking language uh, of the left and then deliberately misinterpreting it oh, yeah. and putting that new meaning onto it. And I mean, the, the, the sort of earliest example and most obvious one is probably political correctness, which I always felt in origin, political correctness, insofar as it wasn't, I think it was kind of an ironic phrase from the start. Like it wasn't even, there was no serious political correctness movement until people started reacting against it. Yeah. Um, but it just meant, let's be nice to people and let's not use language that maybe upsets how people feel. You know, it's like, let's be polite. This is kind of how I, it's like uh, it's this isn't about controlling language it's about being nice to people and yet they their definition is the one that we all have now and that even middle middle of the road people will say it's political correctness gone mad right yeah uh, and they've done it again and again and again um i mean it's, it's like the, the 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 fake news phrase was was the other one that that came from the left about oh this is fake news and within weeks donald trump was saying it as an attack on the left-wing press, well, or legitimate, the, or the, legitimate or the news, mainstream press, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. Is there is there is there a way to sort of combat that kind of process? Is there is there a way to sort of combat the madness? I don't know because it, it's not done in good faith. Like uh, you know, you 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 have that very good quote about uh, you know that that uh, truth truth isn't as fast as a lie. Um, your way was better, but uh, <laughs> it's not my quote. I can't remember who said it first, but it wasn't me. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a hard uh, time believing that most of these people actually believe half of the things that they say. And, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, he, he added fuel to this particular file, uh, fire saying that, uh, you know, that the plan is ultimately, yeah, some, some kind of dystopian way of uh, keeping us in pens and measuring our carbon footprint or something. And then he said at the end of his tweet, and, and this is this plan is well documented. Well, uh, you know, I, I know he used to be a professor. I don't, I don't think they allow, allow him anywhere near students anymore for good reason. But, uh, uh, you know, if, if I submitted a term paper that just said, uh, this is what I think, and just believe me that the plan is well documented, and right. then I don't show any... Uh, any scrap of evidence, any whiff of it, uh, and just well, sit back and expect an A. Well, that's a, that's the thing is, you know, like you brought up Doctor Pete. I don't even like calling him a doctor. Uh, no, I mean, doctor, doctor with a lot of quotation marks, right? Yeah. Uh, for a podcast listeners here, um, but like, this is not his field of expertise. He does like he doesn't have a PhD in planning or architecture or or, or urban studies, anything that would say, okay, you know what? I I can't, maybe I do want to listen to what he says. Maybe maybe he has he's looked at this from a different angle that we haven't studied yet. Okay, let's give him credence. It's crack. I mean, he, I think he's a piss poor philo- uh, psychologist um, uh, to begin with. Uh, but for him to weigh in on. A study of architecture, urban planning, urban studies, urban design. 
I think is incredibly, I mean, this is exactly what the, the, the Ontario college of psychiatry or psychologists, uh, but we're, we're, we're taking a task for it's like, you're, you're using your PhD credentials in one very narrow specific area of academia to espouse expertise, knowledge in an area that you have nothing, you've done no studies, no peer review work on at all. And this is exactly, this is exactly it. He has no expertise on an urban design uh, motif. I, I say that I do not, I'm like for any of the, all the Jordan Peterson fanboys who might be listening here saying, well, Joel, you don't have expertise. I know I don't, but I do talk to the people that do. Yeah. Right. So pretending I, I, to have credentials that we don't like, have, you know. I, I I go and talk to the people and say, well, what's I I mean, I, what's this thing about a 15-minute city? I talk to people who know what they're talking about. Say, explain it to me like I'm an idiot, because I kind of am. Uh, but it's incredibly irresponsible for him to kind of fuel this this debate, mostly because I think of this this 15-minute city idea is a ultimately a good one. Like it's a, it's a good, it's a, just a, we in the 905, we're at a cross. We've said this before, rolling and I on this podcast a million times. We're at a crossroads in the development of our region, all the various cities and municipalities in it. They've re, we thought we hit the, the edge of the green belt, but apparently we haven't. <laughs> um, but the idea is like we, we've hit our boundaries and we need to start rethinking how do these cities look and how do we operate in that? And especially coming out of COVID, a lot of people say, well, I don't like the idea of getting on the QEW or the 401 and driving in and out of Toronto every day. I just don't. And I'm not saying why we have the solution, but I think that conversation needs to be had in, as you said, Glenn, in good faith. And this argument against the 15 minute city idea is not in good faith. I think, you know, you can have debates on the details, like, can we put this here, put that there? How much is this going to cost, et cetera. Yeah. Um, there's a point um, we could make uh, that occurred to me yesterday, which is, and it's something I've noticed a few times in recent history. I mean, the in Hamilton, they used, um, well, there's been phrases that have been used by, by, by council, I would say in considerable bad faith in a lot of ways uh, in recent years are climate emergency and, um, uh, well, climate emergency is the main one, but, but also, um, um, Sorry, zero vision zero vision zero vision zero. Sorry, went out of my head for a minute. Those two phrases have been stuck on to city initiatives, and in both cases, I'd say they are nothing to do with those uh, those actual concepts. That that I don't believe any city in 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 Ontario has a genuine vision zero. plan no they may call it vision zero it's not vision zero (laughs) it's not about eliminating road deaths uh uh, uh, and uh same with the climate emergency i think every city in the in the province if not the country had a climate emergency moment where they said yes it's a climate emergency okay let's go back to not life is normal Uh, and that was the end of that but they can stick it on all their leaflets and their documents and the rest of it and to an extent, I suspect this is what Oxford was doing. That this is about traffic calming, and traffic calming, traffic management, is always unpopular with a sector of society who suddenly can't go down a street that they used to be able to go down, and it's like, why, why, why do we have to have this? And so they stuck a label on it that makes it sound like it's you know maybe a bit more trendy and modern, and it's not just going to inconvenience you. And 
what they've done in fact is give a gift to the to the to the assholes um once again i've rather than asking a question i've, I've just gone off on a rant um <laughs> what well, do you think uh, about that glenn <laughs> well i i was gonna say like if jordan peterson can uh you know pretend for for a second that he cares about urban planning uh and again like you said joel uh, i am not an urban planner but like you i i talk to people much smarter than me and and this is not a new idea but if he's gonna dip his toe into my field then uh, allow me to uh, sort of put on my my best conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, hats and uh, just say, what if I told you that, um, you know, about uh, 60, 70 years ago, there were a bunch of people making money hand over fist because of a war. And they realized that that war was coming to an end and they wanted to keep those record profits going. So they had a very particular product to sell and they got in the ear of public planners at the time and said, what if we rebuild the city so that everyone in the cities to have a successful uh, life and some some level of freedom and mobility have to buy our product? That's a pretty uh, wild theory, but uh, I think if anyone wants to bother to pick up a history book, that actually happened. And now we're just trying to claw back from it. Uh, so if you want to talk about you know uh, sinister powers uh, with, with their fingers in every pie, uh, with uh, you know, influence uh, down to the very marrow of our, our of the bones of, of the way our cities are built um, that ultimately take away our freedom. Uh, well, that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so, what I I guess what I'm worried about on this one is I see because I see that the same group of people, you know, the the Jordan Petersons, the Chris guys, the the it's all it's all the same group of people, and. I'm worried is that they're more and more running the sh they're running the, the policy discussions. They're, they're the ones putting running the show because they're putting the fear in good, moderate, well-thinking, deep-thinking politicians, and they are out there ones who actually sit down and they really think like, okay, what do we what laws do we have to change? What laws do we have to create to make a better better future? Um, my worry is that these people put the get the pressure going that those good politicians, those good city councillors, regional councillors, um, provincial uh, MPPs, uh, either don't show up anymore or they, they stay silent on the subject. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the, especially at the city council level, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying in, in Toronto so much, it's a different political field for sure. But out here in the 905, you know, a lot of councils are only six or seven people, maybe 15 uh, uh sitting around a table and you you typically don't get a lot of time in the spotlight and the last thing you want is for the freedom convoy yahoos to be hanging outside council meetings shouting down an honest an honest in good faith debate on planning mm -hmm. you know we, I, I like my worry is i mean already planning debates at city councils here in the nine of five are already tumultuous and contestable and and just you know, not enjoying nice things. The last thing we need to do is add this into that debate where we throw out any hope of a good, honest debate and a good, honest idea. Because one thing, because I come down to the 15 minutes today idea, and I, I don't think it'll happen concretely, but it's the idea you're forced to start thinking outside the box with it. It just starts giving you, your brain starts thinking of different solutions to the way that our, our cities are built and operate. And I kind of want to encourage that at our policy planning level. 
And I, I guess that's what I'm worried about is that this, this conspiracy idea is going to infiltrate our municipalities and just kind of nip this, nip any, any idea for innovation outside of the box thinking or real creativity to solve the real, very real problems that we have of gridlock, housing supply, uh, uh, and urban living uh, in Ontario. I mean, it's a fear I share. I, I, I sometimes have to give my head a shake and, and wonder how, um, you know, certain, as we've been saying, innocuous ideas somehow become a wedge issue that is claimed by one side or the other. Um, you know, you, you can absolutely be, uh, you know, a, a penny pinching, uh, you know, fiscal conservative who rides their bike to work. It, it doesn't have to be an oxymoron, but somehow it's become um, this, you know, aspect of our political culture where um, almost arbitrarily some things are on one side of the spectrum and some things are on the other side. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, if, if the absolute loudest, most obnoxious, uh, most deranged version of a conservative has, has manages to make this uh, um, sort of a, a part of their political identity, that, that is upsetting. And it's happened before with bike lanes and all kinds of things that really aren't a left-wing or right-wing issue. So, I mean, it all comes back to the car issue, I guess, ultimately, that this this is basically about scaring people that they're going to take away their right to to drive to drive around where they want when they want. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some people might well say that, that that would actually be a pretty good thing, but um, but actually that's not what's being anybody's actually suggesting. No, yeah. Um, the you know how how do we combat this 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 basic you know it's ironic that that a metal box that for many of us basically imprisons our kind of existence and which we have to that we depend on to to get around which we have to sit on for far too many hours in our in our day is simultaneously associated with the concept of kind of freedom and personal liberty and um uh what sort of, you know, it's kind of a big question uh half an hour into a into a, an interview but why is that and um how, how do we get that out of our heads how do we you know can we sort of get the message out there that we want freedom want the ability to have freedom from cars not the freedom to be oppressed by the damn things well, uh, like Jordan Peterson, I'm not a particularly good psychologist, but uh, the things that come to my <laughs> mind are uh, I, I, I accept the criticism that, uh, you know, sort of left wing urbanists, uh, uh, you know, what, what were written off uh, during the Ford eras as, as the downtown latte sipping elites. Uh, I agree that they they had two things working against them. And one was that uh, there was a kind of smugness. There was a kind of uh, um, narrow vision uh, at first, um, you know, very downtown centric vision, that kind of thing. Uh, and also uh, that they they tend to be overly wonky. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something on my show that I, I worry about my, myself that, uh, you know, what is the... Uh, what is the barrier to to be able to engage in a conversation about these things? Uh, I, I try to keep it, um, you know, all in all in layman's terms, but it does get away from you when you get really into the the weeds of these things. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would say 
only engage in the people who are engaging in good faith. And that does not include the the Petersons, the Chris Skies, the, the Freedom Convoy people. They, y- You'll get nowhere with them. But, uh, but don't be smug about, um, you know, the concerns that people may have everyday people, um, which I, I've certainly been guilty of that. I, I like to make jokes about how I'm going to, you know, fight a w- war against the car myself. Uh, I don't mean it. Uh, I understand that certain people have to live life a certain kind of way. Um, but yeah, it, it only only engage with people who who are actually engageable with, and uh, don't be smug and and try to present the alternatives in in this, the simplest terms, the the most understandable terms. I I really like that as maybe a good way to end the podcast as we're we're sort of tipping over the uh, the halfway mark. But I I really like what you said there um, because there is. There is a, there is that tone that you see amongst people who who I know have very good intentions and who support good initiatives of kind of if you don't agree with me then you're I mean again it's the polarization of everything that we're dealing with right now right yeah it's like if you don't if if you drive a car and you don't like bikes you're an asshole now I know I don't think that's really what they mean but it certainly can come across that way mm-hmm. and like you say a lot of people do if you do live in a suburb in the 905 the thing is you don't feel like you have a choice to live differently um and which is partly what the 15 minute city is about it's like about giving people that choice so exactly. they don't you know yeah. that's, that's, we're not taking things away we're trying to give things to you um you know, that's how that's how we should frame the debate going forward it's not about re- taking away your right to drive a car it's about giving you an option not to Yep. You know, it, it, and I think that's that's as simple as we have to put it going forward. Because they the the naysayers, these conspiracy nuts, when they're they're thinking, all comes to the government wants to take this away from you. They want to take away your freedom. They want to take away your right to travel. And maybe that's the that the truth is, we're just like, no, we're not about taking away. We're giving you more. We're giving you more options. So they say, well, we're giving you the option to not have to worry about finding a parking space in a in a supermarket parking lot we're giving yeah. you the option of you know quieter streets to to walk down we're giving you the option of just a better place to grow up raise a family uh, all, all those things mm-hmm. and those days we're like yeah i i'll be honest i like i like driving i, I like the act of driving i i don't like gridlock i hate that but yeah. i like the idea of getting out on a wide open road and just yeah just get hitting the gas and going out it, 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 I enjoy it, but yeah, you know, give me the option of not having to do that while sitting in gridlock. Well, yeah. I don't know. That's, that's all what we're talking about. And maybe if you're a politician listening to this, if you're a city councilor or potential, maybe you're a potential Toronto mayoral candidate, <laughs> maybe. Listening, frame the argument that way. We're giving you choice, not taking anything away and see how that uh, responds to the people. Absolutely. And I'll send well, you my bill for political consultation afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's leave it there. Thanks again, Glenn, for, for, uh, for joining us. Um, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future uh, about other and similar issues or related issues. And uh, a reminder to everybody to um, uh, make sure you tune into Spacing Radio, well worth a uh, listen, as is Spacing Magazine and everything to do with spacing. And um, uh, yeah, thanks again. And we'll uh, speak to you again next time. Always a pleasure. Thanks.
that's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.